Oh, sorry. Morning. Great to see you guys. My name is Nathan. Welcome to Emmaus Church Community. Happy to be here. This is our penultimate gathering. Somebody just explained that word to me this morning. That means like the, the, the one right before the end. Oh. That's right. Yeah, the one right before the end, the penultimate. Um, and so, let's see, there's a couple things I want to do to start, and then I'm going to ask Rich to address something. If you'd like a Bible, raise your hand. We'll hand one out to you. Uh, encourage you to turn to the book of Psalms, which is kind of in the middle of the Bible. Um, page 432 is where we're going to be in a little bit. Um, Psalm 136. And then also, if you're on an aisle and there's a basket under your seat, would you hand it down? What, what, what lives in these baskets are these little communication cards, and they are for you to fill out if you have an address you'd like to hand off to us, an email address you'd like to hand off to us, a comment, a prayer request. We go through these on Mondays, and we would be grateful, and, um, grateful for any kind of clarity in terms of how we can get in touch with you, and also we'd be willing to pray for you. Come on in. The front, the preaching's always better in the front. <clears throat> So glad that you're here. Okay, so here's a couple things. We, as, as many of you know, we, uh, this is our second to last gathering here. Next week is our last gathering here. I can't believe I'm saying that. Next week is our last gathering here. That's right. Um, and, and so along with moving to a new place comes a whole lot of um, just logistics. You know, we're moving a whole community. We're changing the way we're doing things. And so we're going to take a little bit of time this week, a little bit of time next week to cover some uh, really important logistical pieces that I think will make our first couple weeks in the theater go more smoothly. This is Richard Lester, our executive director, and he's going to explain how you check kids in safely at the new location, all right? Okay, so now that we're in our penultimate gathering. Penultimate. <laughs> word of the day. Yep. Um, uh, if you are a parent of a child that you check in, pull out your phone. Sweet. All right. So I know texting in church, not very cool, but we're going to do it. So if you, again, if you check in a child, pull out your phone and text the number 51400 and text ECC space kid check. Um, and what that's going to do is it's going to give you two links. The first one, um, you, uh, you need to set up a kid check account. So right now, your kid check accounts are underneath your kids. I know for a lot of people are like, this is totally irrelevant for me. But for the rest of you, please listen. Um, and you need to, to text that number so that you can set up a kid check account. Um, we're currently using kid check. We're still using kid check, but we're using it a little bit more full uh, as we move in. And then after that, uh, you'll also receive another link um, that uh, you can download an app, a kid check app. So in the new theater, when you walk in, uh, we'll have a computer there for new, for new folks. We'll have an iPad there that you just simply put your phone number in and it prints out your name tags. It's a lot faster. And then for the folks that are all techie and want to do it this way, you can uh, download the app and then uh, check your kids in, like even when you're in the car and they're still strapped in. And then walk in with them and when you get close to the printer, it prints out the, the, the tag and then you just take it and check your kids in. That's so slick. it's going to be a much faster process. Um, but uh, so all you have to do is just go ahead and text that number and it should give you a couple of links to go ahead and walk through. Okay? We're good? All right. Thanks, guys. Thank you. That sounds great. It just clicked. It just popped up. Takes a second. Yeah. Yeah. That's correct. So right when you walk in, you're, there's going to be a desk there in the lobby. Mm -hmm. And this is all right there. And this is one of the reasons why we want to keep it moving so that we don't all queue up right there in the, in the lobby and then visitors and 
uh, can't make their way around a queue. So we need to make that process pretty quick and efficient. So, all right. Great. Thanks. Well done. Thank you. Yeah, the link that I included in the email this week was incorrect because I put kids check. It's singular. One kid at a time. Kid check. And that should work. I just got the link myself. So uh, hopefully that makes the transition really simple for you who are checking in kids. All right. So we're halfway through the season of Lent, my friends. We're halfway through it. Uh, this is the season of preparation for Easter. Uh, we are also rapidly nearing the end of more, say this with me, more than a decade, right? More than a decade of meeting here in this space. Isn't that crazy? More than 10 years we've been meeting together, worshiping God together here in this space. Uh, in fact, um, next Sunday will be our last Sunday that we gather here. And then after that gathering, those who have been on our setup and teardown team, they're going to take everything out of this closet. They're going to take everything out of the school that we have here. And we are going to exit Foskett Ranch Elementary School. We're calling it Frexit. We're moving about a mile and a half that way, and uh, we're going to load everything right into the theater because it'll be open at that point. Um, remember to pray for Summit Church today. They're, they're starting their first gathering at the community center. That's the church that was in the theater. They're starting today in the community center. We will move on Sunday into the theater after church. And then some people have asked, are we doing anything for the setup and teardown guys? Yeah, we are, and a couple of women who are on that team. So after the team, anyone who's been on that team is invited to help us move because we know you love to carry stuff, and so you can help us move on Sunday afternoon, and we've got a big lunch planned for these folks and some gifts because they have just really, literally enabled us to have church here for the last decade, the Setup and Teardown crew, which is just a fantastic uh, gift. Yeah, thank you guys. I know it's the hard work. Good. All right, so um, I'm doing a series on change for Lent. And in the first week, we talked about how change is constant. Change is the way it is. Uh, life is a journey of never-ending change, right? It's always moving. The only way we can navigate faithfully through a life of never-ending change is to root our need for security and stability, which is a good need. It's a legitimate need. You were made with that need. But we got to root that need for security and stability in the only thing that doesn't change, and that's God. That's the character of God. And so we talked about how everything else changes, but God is the same, which is such a great phrase. God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So change is constant. Got to root our need for security in God. Last week, we talked about how change is needed. Uh, we see this pattern in the Bible that God calls people to change to become the people they were created to be. God's calls to change are always creative. This is so important. Always, in other words, God's calls to change are not destructive. He's not pushing you down. He's creating something new in you. Whenever God calls you to change, he's creating something new. And so to receive that new thing that God often is calling us into, we almost always have to leave something behind. We have to leave in order to receive something new. We've got to leave old habits behind. We've got to leave old ways of thinking. We've got we to, even sometimes we have to leave behind good things, totally legitimate, beautiful and good things, in order to fully embrace and accept and walk into the, the life that God has actually called us to live. Change is needed. And so today I want to take that a step farther and I want to say not only is change needed, but change is good. I want to say today that change is good. And I want to talk about how good things are coming. And I want to talk about, I want to reflect on how God is good to us. All right? 
So essentially, this is the message that we're leading toward this morning. This is kind of the point. If you're one of those, you got about four minutes with me, Pastor, and then I'm out. Here's where we're landing. Here's where we're landing with this. God's motive toward you is always good. God's motive toward you is always and only good because God is moved by love. God is moved by love. Do you ever find yourself in a situation where you're wondering, I wonder what's behind that? Like you're questioning people's motive. You're kind of wondering, why are they asking me that question? Or why did they offer that thing? You ever have that kind of experience? Sometimes I get a phone. Uh, yes, is this Mr. Rhodes? And on the phone, I'm like, what's their motive? Are they trying to sell me something? And occasionally I'll be kind of like short with somebody and it'll actually be a legitimate phone call, like actually somebody asking for help. So you got to like, there's this, there's this sort of, uh, calisthenics you're doing in your head, like, what's their motive? Or sometimes people tell me that um, they're in a difficult place, but they're hesitant to receive help from family because they're not sure if strings are attached. Have you heard stories like that? Kind of wondering, what's the motive behind this person offering to help me or to pay for this? Sometimes those are experiences. Um, sometimes people ask me, hey, what do you think about X, Y, and Z? And I got to figure out where they're going with this. Do, do you really want to know? Are you wanting to learn something? Are you just really curious about my perspective? Or is there a one-two punch that comes after this as soon as I tell you? Right? There, I think that throughout life, probably more for some of you than others, if you're involved with a lot of interaction with people, especially dynamics that are complicated, often wondering trying to figure out what is somebody's motive. And as, as you know, if you've read the Psalms, as you know, if you've read the book of Job in the Bible, people have wondered about God's motives before. Right? People have wondered, why is God doing this to me? What is the purpose behind this? What is God trying to do here in this? What's God's, what's God's motive here? And I'm so grateful that there are records of these kinds of questions right in the heart of Scripture. I'm so grateful that because it reveals to me that there is room for this kind of thing. There is space. It's okay to ask God, what are you doing? It's okay to doubt and to wonder and to question about what is going on here, to question God's motives. But here's where that journey of questioning God's motives always lands. At least here's where we see the journey that people in Scripture take. Here's where they always end up. They end up with the testimony of the people of God. They end, even the people that cry out the most desperate, desperate sort of uh, urgent sort of cries, they end up here. God's motive is always good because God is always moved by love. Right? So even though we have these stories of people just going through these intense times of questioning, why, why God, what is your motive, what's behind this? There, at the end, there comes this thing, hey, I don't necessarily even understand it, but what gets revealed is God's motive is good. We hear evidence of this kind of thing in the words of the prophets. Let me show you a couple of examples. This is from the prophet Jeremiah. He says this, The Lord appeared to us in the past saying, I have loved you with an everlasting love. I have drawn you with unfailing kindness. I will build you up again, and you, virgin Israel, will be rebuilt. Again, you will take up your timbrels, and you'll go out and dance with the joyful. It's so fascinating that he calls Israel virgin Israel, because it's chapter 31 of Jeremiah, and for the previous 30 chapters, Israel has been a harlot. Israel has been promiscuous. Israel has not been a virgin. And now here, God, why is he like 
closing his eyes to reality? No, there's a bigger reality. It's his restorative power. And so he's calling him. My love for you is so strong, it just blows right through the brokenness, and you, virgin Israel, will be restored. Such a powerful thing. A couple hundred years before that, Isaiah is the prophet, and he says this, Shout for joy, you heavens. Rejoice, you earth. Burst into song, you mountains. For the Lord comforts his people and will have compassion on his afflicted ones. But... Zion, kind of a personification of the people of God, Zion said, the Lord has forsaken me. The Lord has forgotten me. Anybody ever felt like that? Apparently, he doesn't see me anymore. Apparently, if I look at the evidence surrounding me in my life, God has forgotten me. And then here's the response of God to that question. And it's a fair question. It's a fair feeling. But here's God's response. Hear this, friends. Hear what the words of the prophet are here. Can a mother forget the baby at her breast? And have no compassion on the child she has born. Though she may forget, God says, I will not forget you. See, I have engraved you on the palms of my hands. Powerful. So powerful. Turn to that, uh, that psalm that I asked you to kind of get ready. Psalm 136. It's on page 432 in the Bible that you were handed. That's a lot of numbers. Psalm 136. You've got to see this. I'm going to read it to you. I'm going to read parts of it, but you've got to see it in Scripture. It's so powerful because there's a refrain. Sometimes modern music is, uh, is, is criticized because of the repetitive nature of it. I must not have a slide for this one. Psalm one th- there it is. Thanks, Ryan. Give thanks to the Lord for he is good. And then they sing, his love endures forever. Give thanks to the God of gods. And then again, his love endures forever. Give thanks to the Lord of lords. His love endures forever. Do you see it before you? 26 times in one song, over and over. They're saying it. Gosh, that's repetitive. It's true. It's the truth, right? This is why it just gets repeated over and over and over again. I need to be assured of the motive of God because life is crazy. And so I'm singing a song with the people of God that assures me 26 times in one song, his love endures. He is motivated in your life by love. The love of God is the core truth that's being celebrated in that psalm. There's two major events that are being remembered in that psalm, God's creation and God's freeing or delivering of the people of Israel from slavery in Egypt. And in both cases, the reason God does those things according to the psalm is because he loves the people. Right? He creates and he rescues. Why does he do that? Because he loves us. And then we see this message of God's motivation of love extended and clarified, brought into really sharp focus in the New Testament. Uh, the Apostle John writes, um, I might need help today, Brian. This is just dull or something on me today. Can you thank you? So uh, John writes, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son that whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. Why? Because God so loved the world. I mean, it's just, it's, it's a motive. It's very clear. Next slide. Jesus reveals this, the heart of God. Jesus says, God is a loving father who longs to give good gifts to his children. What's God like? He's a good parent. He's a loving father, loves to give good gifts to his children. And then God, uh, Jesus also reveals the grief of God when God's love is not received. At the end of the ministry, he's, he's, in, he's looking over the city of Jerusalem. He says, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who kill the prophets and stone those sent to you. How often I have longed to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, but you are not willing. 
You hear the longing heart of God, and then ultimately and decisively, the, gospel's writer, the gospel writers, they record the motive of love, how God is motivated by love in Jesus lying, laying his life down for the whole world, right? Offering himself as a sacrifice for the whole world. And the Apostle Paul puts just, just puts a precise point on this when he says, God demonstrates his own love for us in this. He demonstrates it, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Amen? So I hope you can see, friends, that from the creation of the world all the way through, God's motive has been, God's motive is, God's motive always will be love for his people. So when we start here with a biblical understanding of God's motive, with a biblical understanding of what moves God, of who God is, of what it is that, draw, that drives him, it can affect the way, next slide, Brian, it can affect the way that we see and experience change. Okay? Change is going to mess us up. It almost always spins people around. But if you have an understanding of what moves God, it will affect the way you perceive and experience change. What are some of the changes going on in your life right now? Think about that. What are some of the, some of the things that are happening in your, in, that, are, that are changing? Maybe something in your work or something in your, in your school situation. Can you identify that? Can you write it down in your notes? Are there changes in your relationships that are going on? Changes in your community? What about at home? Are there changes going on at home? Or in church? Changes happening here in our church community. What about changes in your own heart? In your own soul? Can you identify any of those? If you can believe with the testimony of Scripture that God is motivated by love, it will impact the way you experience change, the things that are changing in your life. As we think about the changes happening in our lives, there's two practical truths that we have to hold and we have to keep in mind, and I would say we got to hold these in tension. Because some people would say it's either this or it's this. I think scripture says it's actually both and. But it's very difficult to hold these things in tension. So if you did identify some things that are changing in your life, you're at a really dangerous point right now because you've identified something that's moving. And it's really important that you keep these two truths in mind in order for this to be something that could actually at some point be life-giving to you. The first truth is this. Not all change that comes into our lives comes from God. All right? In other words, God is not the initiator of all things in our life. There's lots of brokenness in the world. There's lots of brokenness, and we're affected by that in our lives. There's a lot of sin that impacts our lives. There's a lot of perversion and manipulation and selfishness that affects our lives. So there's a lot in our lives that is not the way God intended for life to be, not the way God intended for the world to be. In other words, abandonment is not something that God intended to be a part of our life experience, right? Injustice is not the way it's supposed to be. So we don't want to say that God initiates injustice. Kids aren't supposed to get cancer. Cars aren't supposed to crash. Hearts aren't supposed to break. There's just a bunch of brokenness in our world that affects, it still affects our life, but it would be inco incomplete, incorrect, I would say, to say that God does this. Many of the changes happening in our lives are simply the result of brokenness. Things are not working the way they're supposed to. It can be easy to think, it can be easy to feel, God is doing this to me, right? Or to ask God, why is this happening? When I talk to couples who have lost children, for instance, it's very easy, and I think it's very fair, frankly, to ask God, what is the, let's just do this, 
After we uh, get used to kind of being a mobile church, we'll get the, the tech stuff down just fine, right? But we're still kind of new at this. It was a joke. <laughs> it's very easy to think. I think it's fair to say, you know, God, what was the purpose of this? What was the purpose of, of, of this tragedy? What was the pur- Why did you allow this to happen? I think it's a sign of how shallow our culture's spirituality is that almost every week, friends, I hear people try to rationalize something or even try to comfort people with this silly phrase, everything happens for a reason. Gosh, I hate that phrase. Everything happens for a reason. Okay, maybe, but the reason is not necessarily good, right? I can point out a whole lot of things that have happened for really broken reasons, really stupid reasons, right? I can tell you why that happened. It was stupid, right? Or I can tell you why it happened. That was broken. That was not the way it was supposed to be. So as we consider all the changes happening in our lives, a few of them or a lot of them might line up for you in the bad category, in the I wish this wasn't happening in my life right now category, in the change is painful kind of category. So it's really important that we remember that not all change that comes into our lives is initiated by God. Are we clear on that? Not all change is initiated by God. And the second truth that we got to hold in tension here is this, God is in control. <laughs> yeah. God is in control. God is all-powerful. God does create and hold all things together. He is the giver and the sustainer of life. God is not limited by space. He is everywhere. God is not limited by time. He created it. He is every when. He is in control. And everything that happens in our lives, even the very hard things that happen in our lives, yes, they do happen within and under the authority of God. So that truth is both maybe comforting to you or it may be very troubling to you. Uh, somebody said to me once, you know, you're going to lose a lot of battles, but Jesus will win the war. And I think that's right and I think that's true. But I also want to say, man, those battles were hard. We suffered. We lost some good years we got some scars now, right? There were some hard things. So if you're in the midst of change, and of course you are because change is constant, it's the way it is, and change is needed. We often need change in order to become the people that God created us to be, right? In order to do the work that God created us to do. And so change is good, right? Change is good. I got to tell you, I wrestled with that this week. (laughs) I wrestled with it. I typically plan our sermons a couple of months in advance. I scope them out. I get some basic ideas. I'll put some titles on it. I'll assign some key scriptures there. I'll I'll get a bunch of people started on a bunch of different projects regarding what we're going to talk about. And then the week of, I kind of dive into it and I kind of start to figure out, okay, exactly what are we going to say? And this week's plan was change is good. That was the plan. And as I got deeper into it, it got more and more complicated to me. And I started thinking about, like, when bad things happen to good people and how, how that's going to be perceived if I say, okay, change is good. I, talked to, I started thinking about the problem of evil. I started thinking about how, what can actually be known and what can we actually say with certainty and how some things seem so good at first, like wealth, but in the end sometimes can turn out to be a real barrier, a real obstacle. And so for a while this week, this sermon got really, really long. Uh, much longer than it is. And, and, the, and the working title was something like this. 
Change is that mysterious phenomenon wherein a person's perception of reality is altered by outside, or is it internal, forces beyond one's control, but not always beyond one's control, which results in the modification of thoughts and emotions and actions due to the eternal will of God, but not always, or the demonic adversity, or, you know, maybe it's just a fluke. <laughs> I just was struggling. So here's where I landed. Change is complicated. All right? So you can just cross out the title of the sermon and change it because that's where we ended. Change is complicated. The change that is happening in my life, the change that is happening in our world, man, it's complicated. Am I, in other words, am I being tempted right now or am I being tested? I'm not sure that I'm going to see the clarity of that till later. How do I relate to these changes? How do I navigate it when, do I embrace this as a gift from God? Or here comes a change. Should I just reject this thing out of hand? This is absolutely not from God. How do I relate to these changes? How do I navigate it when change is often so complicated and there's so much that is unknown, so much that has yet to be revealed about what it is that's happening right now. I want to encourage you to hold on to two things that we do know, two things that have been revealed. What can we say has been revealed? Two things, friends. God is with you, and God is good. Okay? That doesn't answer all the questions, I know, but this is what's been revealed. God is with you, and God is good. Friends, this is why so many people have memorized the 23rd Psalm. And this is why you should if you haven't already done it. The 23rd Psalm. Even though I walk through the, the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, David says to God, they comfort me. Question, has God pushed David into the valley of the shadow of death? No, no. Has God allowed David to walk into the valley of the shadow of death? Yeah, yeah. He has. Why? Is this a good change or a bad change for David? I don't know. And neither did, D neither did David, right? Neither did David. What did he know? He knows that God is with him in the valley of the shadow of death, and he knows that God is good, right? That's what is revealed. That's what he can say with certainty, and so we can say the same. No matter what the change, no matter how complicated things get, we can count on this, that God's motive towards us is good because God is motivated by love. In fact, it's not even, it's not even quite like that, even though that's easier for under, us to understand. God exists and is motivated by love. The reality, as John says, is that God is love. I mean, so the line gets really blurry there. It's just so core to who God is and everything that exudes from him. God is love. So what is coming to you in your life, friends, that is from God is good. His motive for you is always love. No matter if it's feast or famine right now, no matter if it's desert or promised land right now, there is good in the change that is coming because in the midst of the change is God. Amen? He is with you and he is good. Let me end with one of my favorite stories from Scripture uh, this is from John chapter 21, if you'd like to look at it. This is a story about Jesus making breakfast for his disciples. Let me set it up quickly with this, and then I'll read the, the last part of the story to you. 
What has happened leading up to this story is all kinds of change has happened. All kinds of things have changed. Some of the things that have changed are really good. Some of the other things that have changed are really, really broken. And so, example, Jesus was alive, and then, this is in the last couple weeks, he was alive, and then he was killed, and then he was alive again. Like, mind-bending, cosmic-level kinds of changes have happened. Um, Since his resurrection, Jesus has actually appeared to his disciples twice at this point, but it's different now. He, he, He comes through locked doors, and then he just disappears. It's really weird. So their relation, like Jesus is back, but it's not the same. Their relationship with Jesus has changed. It's different from the way it was. And so consequently, I think consequently, the disciples, they don't know what to do. Literally, change has become so disorienting for them that they're not sure what they should do. And so at one point, Peter decides he's going to go fishing, which is really interesting because it's what Peter used to do. It's what Peter did for, you know, three years ago before he started following Jesus. Some of the disciples, not all of them, but some of the disciples say, we're going to go with you. And so they fish all night and they catch nothing, which is interesting. These are formerly professional fishermen. They get skunked. They get zeroed, right, all night long. And then there's this dude on the beach, and he says that thing that you always say when you see somebody fishing. Did you catch anything? Right? Which is either like this invitation to brag about how successful you've been, or it's a full-on insult, right, (laughs) depending on how well you've done. But he actually says it a little bit differently than that. He says, friends, haven't you caught anything? Then the guy on the shore offers some advice. Why don't you try the other side of the boat? Which is just almost insulting, isn't it? But they're so, they failed so miserably that they do what he says. And and, uh, this is what happens next. Um, let's read it. This is John chapter 21, starting in verse 6, and we'll end with this. He said, throw your net on the other side of the boat, and you will find some. And when they did, they were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. Then the disciple whom Jesus loved, who's John, the one writing this, said, it is, he said to Peter, it is the Lord. As soon as Simon Peter heard him say, it is the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him, for he had taken it off, and he jumped into the water. The other disciples followed in the boat, towing the net full of fish, for they were not far from the shore, about 100 yards. And when they landed, they saw, get this, a fire of burning coals there with fish on it and some bread. Verse 10, Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish you have caught. So Simon Peter climbed aboard, dragged the net ashore. It was full of large fish, 153. But even with so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, And this is one of my favorite things Jesus says in all the Gospels. Come and have breakfast. So cool. So good. Come and have breakfast. None of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came, took the bread, gave it to them, and did the same with the fish. This was now the third time Jesus appeared to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. So there are all kinds of amazing things happening in this story. But the one thing, that, the one thing I want to point out is simply how Jesus demonstrates to his disciples, friends, even in the midst of all these changes, paradigm changes that are happening, that he is with them and he is good. Right? Even when he is standing on the shore, even, get this, even before they recognize who he is, he is with them. 
He has, jo- he has entered into their task. He has entered into their journey, into their struggle, into their challenge. He's taken it as, as his own. Everything has been changing so fast for these guys. They literally don't know what to do with themselves. But even in the chaos and the confusion, and some would say the regression, the going back, Jesus is with them. And he invites them to eat breakfast with them. Table, fellowship, on the beach. I mean, it's just beautiful. It's tender. I love the sweetness of this story. I love what it reveals about the heart of God. What is Jesus doing? He's showing them that even in the midst of all these changes, he's with them. Yeah, it's different. Yeah, it's different. Everything's different because everything is changing. But even in the midst of that, he is with them. He is with them. Secondly, he is good. Have you caught anything? No. Seriously? That's pitiful. You've been out there all night long and you haven't caught a single thing. He doesn't say that. I mean, that's true. It's pitiful. But he doesn't say that, right? Instead, he gives them a suggestion. He gives them a word. Try the other side. And they catch this massive catch, 153 fish. And the fact that the net doesn't break because of the load of the fish is remarkable. John notes that as a former fisherman. And then he already has fish for them and bread cooking on coals. In other words, breakfast is already ready for them. And then he invites them to bring some of the fish that they've caught because he's not just blowing that off. That matters. So we'll use some of that fish too. It will be used. Friends, this is just this beautiful, graceful, nourishing body and soul restoring story of goodness. This is, this is the goodness of God coming into the frayed hearts and minds and realities of those that he shared life with. And I love it because it communicates so powerfully and so simply that God's motive toward us is good because he is always motivated by love. Are things changing? Yeah, they are always changing, right? Change is constant. Don't wait till it's going to stop changing soon. It won't. It'll always be changing. Change is constant. Is change needed? Yeah, sometimes it is. Sometimes in order to step into what God has for you, some real change needs to happen. And can change be complicated? Yeah, really hard to figure out. You can end up going back. Change is so difficult, friends, that you can end up going back to doing what you were doing years before you even met Jesus. You can appear to just completely regress in terms of any kind of spiritual development that's happened. That's how disorienting change can be. It really does unmoor people. It really does flip us around. It is so disrupting to us, change. But even in the change, you can count on this. God is with you. God is good. And what moves God, what moves God is his love for you. Amen? Let's pray to believe that today. Everlasting God, we, um, in our finiteness, in our limited understanding, in, in our context of feeling often like we are little rowboats on the ocean of change, would your stability and security be our hope? And would we um, hold on to the core uh, realities of your presence and your goodness. And uh, may we, despite all kinds of disruption 
that just seems to continually happen in life. As soon as we get things ordered, things change. In the midst of the disruption, uh, would your consistent and good presence, your withness and your goodness, would it be a blessing to us? I pray that folks today would be able to rest in the goodness of you're just inviting us to breakfast with you. Rest here with me, the one who ultimately has not changed. Bring the, the frayed natures of your hearts and minds, your questions, the chaos, the fears. Just sit here by the fire with me. I'm here. I'm good. We have what we need. Find your rest here in me. Change is complicated, but God is good. We thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Good. Good, good. Would you stand up with me, friends? Every Sunday we do this. We want to make sure that folks are welcomed. And we want to, I mean, we could have fantastic preaching, uh, and it won't make a difference. We could have amazing music, and it won't communicate as well as somebody looking you in the eye and saying, good morning, you are welcome here. God bless you. So let's take a minute to do that. May the peace of Christ be always with you. Thanks. Take a minute, greet those around you, and we'll come right back together in a minute.